0: Drive by Cinema
1: Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun Welcome to Drive by Cinema episode 8 I am your host Rick and this is the other host Paul Yeah he's the other one Paul, yeah,
0: yeah (laughs) I'm just going to sit in the rocking chair in the corner of
1: this uh, virtual room Paul this film this week has made you miserable it seems. Uh,
0: you, mean, uh, you mean the film that we're watching for episode V-I-I-I?
1: V-I-I-I.
0: Yes. It has. Yeah, the prospect of talking about this movie for an hour. Oh, well. I mean, it's given me a moment
1: of Prussian existential doubt, I think. Well, don't worry. We're going to start off by talking about corrections, omissions, and general listener feedback as well. Oh, we Christ.
0: <laughs> well, somehow that's more preferable to talking about this movie. But yes, go on, what, anyway. Picking,
1: picking over the tiny errors that we've made. I'm making progress. You are making progress, yeah. You're doing better and better every yes. day. my OCD
0: and my perfectionism are on the wane, apparently. you still got your notepad out, though, don't you? Even though you said you wrote no notes. I still have my notepad, yeah. And my filofax. I noted the date and time... Of this podcast uh, production meeting in my, in my file of facts. And when
1: did did you note down when you saw the movie?
0: No, but I noted down the time that I noted down this meeting. I noted down this meeting in my file of facts 53 minutes before it actually occurred. Now, some people might say there was no need to note it down, and that's why I've got OCD and perfectionism, you see. And that's why I'm on the medication. Sorry, let's get back to this movie. Richard, just asked me a question about the
1: movie, which I was ignoring completely. No, I was going to say that um, loyal listener Alistair did fill me in a little bit. Yes, hi, Alistair. Hi. Did he filled me in a little bit on the bit in The Beyond that we both missed, um, where which I described as all of the planets in the solar system being destroyed. I had described it as being, that black powdery stuff, as being something to do with all of the planets in the solar system being destroyed. <laughs> well... Apparently, the black powdery stuff was like a shield that someone or something used to protect us against the pulverisation of all the planets in the solar system. It's a lot clearer now, isn't it? So the black powdery stuff was not the remains of
0: the planets. It was, in fact, the protective black powdery stuff that stopped us being destroyed like the rest of the planets. Yeah. Just to reiterate and re- recur on your on your on your observation, or well, rather Alice's observation.
1: This event brought the world together in some way, because we recognised that someone had saved us from something in some way or other. It's a powerful message, you've got to admit. <laughs> I see. It is a powerful message, yes. yes. Is Alistair a particular fan of this movie, Richard? Well, he has threatened to set up a Facebook group to critique and discuss this movie. <laughs> in, in extreme detail. Hmm. So look out for that. Meanwhile, I've got listener feedback regarding last week's podcast, which was discussing *Tenet*. That's Christopher Nolan's cinema blockbuster, the saviour of cinema, as he's being described. As we come out of lockdown, just before we go back into it again. So last week I talked a lot about (laughs) the Sato Square, the square of you did sort of palindromic square all around the word *Tenet*. A four-way palindrome. And I I kept referring to one of the minor characters who we don't see. He's only referred to in the film. And that's the forger who painted the fake goya. And you said it was called Arepo. I did on some occasions, and on other occasions I called him Apero. So the thing is, I don't think... Well, Apero is not opera backwards. So that wouldn't be right. No. Arepo is... Arepo is opera backwards. That's the actual name they used in the movie. Not Apero, as I kept saying. I think Apero, isn't that that liqueur stuff? Like that orange stuff that they put in. That they've been trying to invent a new kind of... Amaretto. No. Oh, it's Aperol. Aperol or something, isn't it?
0: Yes. So, Richard, this self-criticism, is it going to extend to self-flagellation?
1: Well, um, I mean, it could do. Or well, we could
0: employ somebody to
1: flagellate you. That wouldn't be self-flagellation, though, would it? I said, or we could. Or implies a... an alternative. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Okay. The thing about self-flagellation isn't it like tickling yourself? You can't. You don't really get the. You can't tickle yourself, can you?
0: You can't tickle yourself, no, because uh, your brain uh, can anticipate when it, the tickle is going to occur because it, it knows when you're tickling yourself.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think self-flagellation works.
0: Doesn't mean you can't draw blood.
1: What's the Catholic sect? Does that's into that?
0: Uh, Da Vinci Code.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I know, yeah, that certainly popularized it, didn't it? But some of the Blair government were all about this, weren't they? Oh yes, yes, they're
0: trusting themselves up in Japanese rope kind of people. Yes, yeah.
1: Order is it the order of the? Oh, I don't know. This isn't this is not good podcast material, is it? <laughs> Grasping at words we don't know.
0: <laughs> I think this is just a general condition of aging, isn't it? Your brain
1: does stop working at some point. But there's still some sort of like ghost in the machinery. So we're just sort of husks, zombies, really, aren't we? Effectively,
0: yeah. There's like a residual, there's a residual ghost trace of electrical activity in here, but nothing new can be learned beyond a certain point. I don't think
1: the lights are on, but no one's at home. Indeed, indeed.
0: I'm I'm really glad you confessed your your wrongdoings, and uh, and let's hope we can move forward and onward from that, Richard. So you won't be getting your raise this year.
1: (laughs) It's the end of my appraisal.
0: (laughs) Well, at least we'd have to put you down the disciplinary track.
1: (laughs) Well, I should be putting you on the disciplinary track for not not turning up to the recording yesterday.
0: Oh, yes. Well, I mean, that's different. I was wildly drunk. You said
1: you went out for a run.
0: Yeah, to the (laughs) off-license. I don't need to be on the DT, the disciplinary track. (laughs) I need to be on the
1: cap OK, I see you're familiar with these terms
0: Do you have these things at your company?
1: We probably do, yeah
0: Progress track, corrective action plan uh, disciplinary track, those kind of things You haven't worked for a large faceless organisation, have you, I can what, say
1: Like uh, Disney Yeah, like Disney <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you who were excellent at this human resources, uh, management, science stuff and that's the Soviets Yes, indeed They really knew how to motivate their their staff, their team.
0: Yeah, mostly with sausages in a bowl and a ringing bell, I think. (laughs) (laughs) This week's movie. Did you know that Skinner, the most famous associationist or behaviourist psychologist, I think, like, ever, was given a large grant during the Second World War to train bomber pigeons? (laughs) Did you know
1: about this? Wasn't he an American, B.F. Skinner? But I do know this, Yeah. He trained the pigeons to tap on pictures of battleships and stuff. And then he put them in in the noses of missiles. So that as they tap the glass, it would steer the missile to the ship. So is this what we call operant conditioning rather than classical conditioning? I it's think operant it is, conditioning, it? yeah, definitely. I think the theory was it would have worked, kind of. Although I'm a bit sceptical that if you put a pigeon in a missile and launch the missile, that the pigeon would be all cool with that. Those g-forces, <laughs> and we then go about it. its pecking business. Percy,
0: <laughs> Percy the pigeon <laughs> whose head just flew through his own ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. woo! There's a
1: cartoon's been made, I think, from this moment, isn't it? And there was an even crazier incident, I think, during the Cold War, where I think it was a British had dogs that were trained to put bombs under tanks. In on the battlefield, really? Yeah, they were given like little ex- magnetic explosives that were put on the backs, and the dogs were trained to run underneath the battle tanks on the battlefield. But they were trained on the wrong I tanks. See. They were trained on like the friendly tanks. So when they were used in the field, the dogs all ran to <laughs> the tanks of their own sides.
0: Oh, no, no, stop, stop right now. Okay, so this is you know classical and operant conditioning. I imagine Russian HR did use at some point. Although I think by 1980, Vygotsky had become the foremost psychologist and psychological influencer within the USSR and its satellite states. And of course, he was a uh, a social constructivist, wasn't he? Which doesn't really have its roots in any kind of
1: associative or behaviourist psychology. This week's movie, Sputnik, is set in Soviet era. And we should explain for those who are too young to remember. In in Russia. That before, well, I I can't remember the date, but in the mid-80s where this was set. 1989. Was that that when the Soviet Union fell?
0: Well, it was uh, a slow process. Uh, One, there was a Chernobyl explosion thingy. But Sputnik is uh, resolutely a larder. This is uh, manufactured and conceived of and made and produced in the USSR, or what was the USSR, and now is Russia.
1: Yes, so before about 1989, as you say, Russia was part of the uh, Union of Soviet Socialist Republic?
0: Which we say USSR, but they say CCCP, except they don't say that, they just write it CCCP, but they say SSSR.
1: Ah, interesting. So Uh, the thing about that is the Soviet Union was uh, an intensely authoritarian regime. It was a federal communist state, wasn't it? So, I mean... I mean, it was it was full on hardcore. It knew the score, I imagine. And those federated states, they didn't have any say in how things happened or whether they were in it. They had no self determination.
0: If you look at the satellite states outside Hungary, in particular, having absolutely in Czechoslovakia, having very very little say, and they were in, supposedly independent satellite states. So you can imagine that the the comprised federal federal uh, federal regions or states within the USSR, apart from Russia itself, were really without any tooth or grind to speak of.
1: Now, Russian sci-fi has a bit of a reputation, doesn't it? It's got some notable contributors to that genre.
0: Do you mean recently or, or, or historically?
1: Historically. And I'm hoping you know the name of the guy. Is it Tarkovsky, is it?
0: It is Tarkovsky. So anyway, so we were saying 1989 was a kind of time when, when uh, Russia and the USSR liberalised, or whatever you want to call it. And there were two major ideas before that in terms of the internal dynamics and how change was going to occur. One was perestroika, and the other was glasnost.
1: I do remember those, yeah. What does it mean, though?
0: So perestroika means restructuring. It refers to the systemic nature of Russian society. And glasnost means a warming or an opening or a reopening or that kind of thing, which refers to uh, a social valency, I imagine. Because, of course, if nothing else. They were very intellectual people, were they not? Yeah, so even liberalisation, they they dealt with in the abstract, so to speak. Quite Soviet ideas, you might even
1: say. So the movie starts in the Soviet era, and we're following... Well, actually, the movie starts with the cosmonauts, doesn't it, in the space programme? In 1983, yes, yes. The name Sputnik is an interesting one, right? Obviously, they've named it after the first... Satellite, which Russia put into space, or the USSR put into space during the sixties, or was it even the fifties? Late 50, 59 perhaps. I'm
0: not, I'm not sure. We really should do our homework, shouldn't we? We've already started discussing this.
1: Fifty seven, apparently. Mm. Sputnik, apart from being used for this movie, has also been used. I think it's the name of the coronavirus vaccine that Russians have just hurriedly rushed through trials. Is it? That's amazing for the russians sputnik is treated as uh, like a pinnacle of uh, russian uh, or U- or soviet technology isn't it L- they led the way when they put sputnik into space before the americans managed to put a satellite in orbit
0: sure you know i think it's a very romantic moment in soviet history and it's it's one that people have a lot of nostalgia for
1: so what does the word sputnik mean you might ask
0: oh does it mean a potato with with cocktail sticks in it that <laughs> makes it look a bit like a satellite.
1: It actually means satellite, apparently. It's the Russian word for satellite.
0: Really? Well, you've cheered me up considerably, because this podcast was filling me with considerable dread, and I was about to reach for the vodka. But uh, that's really cheered me up. That's
1: a nice little image. Sp- Sputnik means satellite. So they named the vaccine programme after Sputnik, perhaps because they were so proud of it. I'm not really sure why satellite is a suitable word for it, though. It's a bit odd, isn't it?
0: Oh, well, I
1: mean, the the
0: coronavirus itself does look a bit like a satellite, doesn't it? With its little coronas.
1: Okay, well, I, that's tenuous, but I'll accept it. It does not explain why the film should be called Sputnik.
0: Well, were they in Sputnik when they... Because this opening scene, they crash, they crash land to Earth because something goes wrong. Uh, were they in Sputnik when it happened?
1: <laughs> Sputnik being the famously unmanned satellite programme. So wait,
0: that's a no. Is that a no, Richard? Is that a passive aggressive no? <laughs> well,
1: Sputnik is like no bigger than a no bigger
0: than a, a football, isn't it? <laughs> I thought we'd spoken about this.
1: It might be Sputnik 2, Sputnik 3. Uh, all right. No, th- so they are in a manned
0: capsule. I thought they put a monkey in Sputnik. Well, they put a dog in, didn't they? They put a dog. They put a dog in a, in a rocket and shot it off into space, didn't they? Laika. Laika.
1: Yes, and not in Sputnik. Okay, so
0: yeah, so some something goes wrong in the rocket, right? And what happens is they start reciting <laughs> portentous poetry uh, that may or may not be from Chekhov.
1: Well, that was long before anything had gone wrong, or maybe that was the thing that went wrong. Dude, but they would just be in Russian reciting really, really
0: heavy poetry. It wasn't poetry, they were singing. Oh, it was a children's song. But in any case, you know, do you think this is something that's particular to Russian movies? Is it, is it to do with Eastern European heritage in that, you know, you meet something scary and then you recite something? It's like killing vampires, isn't it? With
1: They hadn't met anything scary. Oh, I didn't know that. The movie starts with them in the... And I think, presumably, this is a Soyuz capsule, isn't it? In the capsule... And they're coming home, they've disconnected from whatever thing they were docked with. I see. Start the return journey, and they're already singing. That guy is already singing anyway.
0: A very happy moment. So they're singing really
1: depressing songs. It was an odd moment because I, it, it didn't make me warm to the character, and I didn't feel comfortable in their presence. Well, did you did you feel the song
0: they were singing was particularly light? <laughs> was it a particularly light and cheery song that they were singing? I mean...
1: Or was it heavy and portentous? Well, no reflections on the Russian soul or character here, by the way. <laughs> but maybe it, it loses something in the translation. I mean, obviously we're reading the subtitles. Unless, unless you listen to it without subtitles because you know enough Russian to get by.
0: Maybe it was kind of like a haunting, kind of ringa ringa roses thing that you would only know if you were Russian. Anyway, this was the decision of director Igor Abramenko, and it's his first feature outing. Really? Yes. Now the lead here is a female. Well, we haven't seen the lead yet. Can I just finish my spiel that I've copied from Wikipedia, Richard? Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, the lead actor, actor or actress, depending on how you wish to refer to female actors, is Oksana Akinshima. Uh, and she plays a up-and-coming and, uh, and successful and thrusting young uh, medical doctor. Does she not?
1: Well, I mean, I want to get to that. The thing is, we haven't yet uh, met the doctor lady in the film. because We haven't, no. Whilst these two guys are sitting in the capsule one of them spots something at the window and then they notice the hatch is starting...
0: And not a window cleaner. Get back down to earth. You're not getting your five pounds unless you go up that ladder and get back down to earth. I've told you about coming up here. Cleaning my windows out in outer space. It's dangerous. I've health and safety round.
1: It's, well, it's absolutely typical, isn't it, that you, you stop for a moment and someone cleans your windows at the traffic lights with a dirty rag and asks for money. Maybe you don't have that experience. Does that happen in Manchester? It has happened, yeah. I haven't seen it very recently, but it has been known to happen.
0: Wow. Wow. And they demand money. Anyway, this movie was made on a budget. Yes. 2.6 million US dollars, or the equivalent of the time of exchange rate. Uh, and uh, that's—I I, think—they did rather well with their money there, to be honest. Well, we'll discuss later in terms of special effects, but some things carried really well through, through that budget. And for me, one of them was the the alien, the alien creature itself. Anyway,
1: Rich, on to you, sir. Spoiler alert: Yeah, there is an alien in this movie. Well, yeah, this is one hundredth of the budget of Tenet. We don't see much more from those two crewmen for a while, do we? Because. <clears throat> It's assumed, is that. Were well, they landing in Kazakhstan? they land in Kazakhstan, yeah. And one of them's been killed by something and then he's in a bad way. But um, we then switch to our... This is the first of several really
0: impressive and really nice bleeding brain and gurgling lung shots from one of the dead astronauts. Isn't he still alive? The He's got a really nice bleeding brain.
1: Yeah, true. Again, good special effects. There's no question of that. But then we switch to... The doctor, the female doctor that we're going to follow through the movie. And she is in a disciplinary hearing.
0: Yeah, the Moscow Institute of Brain, AMS, whatever that means.
1: Yeah, that's never explained, is it? I guess maybe you're supposed to just know that. But that's a nice bit of brutalist architecture that she's trolling around in that building. I, I enjoyed that.
0: Yes, and and of course she's, she's a hip-shooting rogue female doctor in the depths of the Soviet
1: system. That's right. She's apparently saved her patient by doing something that was frowned upon, and they're considering what to do about this. But she's unrepentant because she thinks that she did what she had to to save him. Now, I I know what she did wrong. She
0: drowned it. She drowned her patient. This was her maverick cure.
1: She drowned the patient. He was a
0: nervous patient, so she decided to... Yes, she drowned drowned him, and he was cured, or temporarily. She said, oh, he's temporarily not showing any of his previous symptoms.
1: Yes, he's not breathing, dear, you know. (laughs) This movie, once it's out of space, which it's only in for three minutes at most, we are almost entirely now in institutional Soviet interior architectures, mostly. And it's all mid-80s Soviet interior decor. It's all kind of browns and greys, and it's very kind of drab, isn't it?
0: Now, there was a fashion for this in the late 90s and early 2000s. A style magazine that was called Wallpaper. I don't know if you've ever seen it in WH Smith. But uh, they would often go to African dictators' compounds and uh, explore the 1970s and 80s architecture. And you're right, you know, most of this does not like an expensive hotel remodel
1: from a Cold War nuclear bunker. And did you notice the open reel tape recorder they were using in the meeting? I didn't know. Oh, well, I did, and I wondered whether that was anachronistic for 1980s, but then in Soviet Russia, and in an institutional setting, mm, they were still driving Lada cars. Yeah, it's probably quite accurate.
0: Yeah. And you know, they still have babushkas opening your door in hotels rather than giving you a key. So that is all possible, I think. Uh, I think I and mother really need to take notes here. Yeah, here we have a strong female re- lead role, and we don't spend fifteen minutes of the movie looking at how she became a doctor.
1: Is that was that a failing of I Am Mother? We 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 looked at how she became a doctor, but the whole story is about someone bringing up a child, you know, with educational needs. Obviously, they show her being taught things. Is that really your complaint about I Am Mother? Yeah, that is my complaint. Yeah. <laughs> right. Tension. Tension.
0: I looked this up. How is tension built in movies? You, you looked it up? <laughs> on YouTube, yes. I went for a masterclass on YouTube. It seems that some somebody who said he was an expert, but may or may not be an expert in this field, said there are three ways that films build tension. Uh, the first being suspense, the second being confusion, and the third being Anticipation. Now, there may be some overlap between those concepts. And uh, his criticism was that Tenet used a second confusion, and this doesn't work over 120 minutes. Hitchcock used suspense, and he brought that down to two more. There's the audience being aware of something that the protagonist is not. That's the first kind of suspense. The second suspense is there's a clear dichotomy presented to the protagonist, and a choice is going to be made at some point that the audience and the the protagonist are aware of. Uh, And here, in Cloverfield and This, anticipation, it was used, I think. Uh, it wasn't. There wasn't any point that we didn't know what was going to happen in the story, but uh, there was quite a lot of waiting for it to a happen. A lot of waiting, yeah. Which is a nice way of saying the pace was really slow.
1: Slow, yeah, wasn't it though? You don't care, do you? Well, I. I don't think. I don't think Tenet is trying to be a particularly tense movie. I don't think it's a suspense movie. It's an action movie, Well, it's a deeply confusing movie. Some say that. It's challenging, yeah. It's got intricacies. It's a puzzle box. It's a beautiful puzzle box. Who is this? Why are we talking about this guy? What? Go and watch his YouTube then. Don't listen to this podcast. I don't know. What are your ideas, Paul?
0: I was just trying to set my observations within a critical, respected critical background called YouTube. So... That we all respect and know is is a very is a very creditable source on all things. Uh, I, my point was the pace was quite slow in this movie, but it wasn't always a problem because it did, did build a certain amount of anticipation, which apparently according to YouTube is one kind of tension, <laughs> which is a desirable aspect in a movie sometimes.
1: It does take its time and it does build up some suspense because you do kind of know you do kind of know something's wrong, and it has to reveal itself, doesn't it? As to what is wrong, but. I just wanted to point out, I like the nice touch where she's leaving the Institute that she goes to the coat check place to get her coat back. She goes to the coat check place? You mean the cloakroom? Yeah, I, I suppose Americans would call it coat check and we call it a cloakroom. It's there, what we later learn is the big bad guy, that Russian military general guy. Whoever general, is. yes. He th- then recruits her to his little project, which is all to do with the cosmonaut that returned to Earth. Um, oh, he did not say that at the time, but he—he's obviously looking for a doctor who knows how to drown people for some reason. <laughs> so uh,
0: at this point, Tatiana, who's the name—the name of which is the name of our lead character—she says yes to the scary soldier, the scary general, and she is whisked away to some very nice corridors in olive green with fluorescent strip lighting, in presumably the middle of the the Siberian tundra. Potentially, I'm not sure where she goes. They
1: they describe it as the steps at one point. Oh, the steps. Okay. Not honestly sure what the steps are, but it is a thing in Russia, isn't it? Right. So at this point, she gets
0: there, and of course, the surviving cosmonaut is there being treated, is he not?
1: Yes. You missed the bit where she answered the phone in her apartment as well, though. She had a very foxy-looking landline phone. Did you see that? Nice bit of design, I thought. You should... It's worth going back and having a look at that phone. Because I guess it would be like the kind of phone that you'd get from the Russian equivalent of the GPO or whatever at the time. I see. You know? Right. But it was much sexier than the old phones that we had. Was it? Wow. Right, okay. So she gets inside
0: there, and uh, what she sees shocks her. And I don't know why. It's a spasming cosmonaut in the steps. Yeah. Or, to all intents and purposes, another Russian having drunk too much bad vodka. Which you think would be a fairly common sight out there?
1: Well she went in and had a chat with him for about five minutes and came out and said
0: that he had PTSD. Oh, she'd done a very clever trick where she was talking about one thing but actually testing his responses uh, to grasping his pen or pencil or something like that and on a base of on a base of that little magic trick where she diverted his attention away from what she was testing it actually on, she decided that yes, he had PTSD.
1: because doctors who drown their patients are really good at diagnosing those kind of. Nervous conditions, I
0: guess. (laughs) His fingers are still moving, yes, he has PTSD. But that's not what's wrong with him, of course, as we discover. No, as we find out very quickly. Very quickly because? Well, yeah, with the next scene, we have a really amazing puking alien come out of the man's mouth.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. It was was quite seeing it.
0: And... The general says to her,
1: Would you like to see it up close? This alien was really well done, wasn't it? It was way beyond the man in a suit. It didn't look like CGI. This was really
0: good for two million dollars, I think. Props props where props are due. This this was a really good alien. Uh, it kind of had a little, little dribbly legs that it never really used, apart from once or twice in the movie, to stand on its hind, hind sort of hind hind haunches, so to speak. Uh, now, in case I just spoke about the suspense, in case you were wondering if the suspense of the movie would continue for the rest of the movie, no, it didn't. It's an alien, okay? <laughs> suspense over, right? Okay. So the alien, uh, apparently, as we've learned out later, it, it, I don't know what it releases. Some sort of venom into its into its host blood system, it's living inside the 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 astronaut
1: you're skipping an important part here, which is that yeah, it lives in his stomach and it comes out at night apparently every night between two and two a m and three a m which i don't know how it knows what time it is when it's in his stomach. It can't see a watch can it but but it turns out later that they are kind of one and the same they're sharing a sort of in, intelligence, or consciousness in some way, aren't they?
0: Oh wow. It's not just a physical uh parasitic relationship. Is this
1: news to you or have I made it up? What's what's happening here? Why don't you know that?
0: Because I re- I at this point I had reached for the vodka, I think. Look, at some point she says, is it a parasite or a symbiote? You know, so explicitly within the within the dialogue, they're discussing what is the relationship that this man enjoys with the alien that crawls up and down his throat every night. But what's amazing is, uh, when, he, when, the, when the alien comes out, it becomes very large, you know, almost like a, a small dog, but slimy. But to get back in his throat, obviously, it needs to be smaller. And apparently the way they explain this is that most of it's body structures, a very lightweight kind of of graphite frame that sort of swell up with air inside or something, which might be conceivable, I don't know.
1: No, I thought it was... it held my credibility, uh, credulity or whatever. My belief was suspended by it, I could imagine it. It just was very well animated the way it kind of unfolded itself. And it looked like it had just been sicked up, didn't it? What they concealed from her at that point... Was that uh, they are every night they let it out of that place and they drive it to or get it or move it to another part of the compound, yeah. And then they let it feed on prisoners because apparently she's staying in a prison. Did, did you pick up on that? Ah, uh. because she goes running like you do, well, not to the off license. Well, yeah, she does her, she
0: does her Clarice stuff, and of course the alien does his Hannibal Lecter. He sort of jumps up at the glass, the glass door of its of its little containment area, and, and slimes at her. So it is a bit like Silence of the Lambs in some respects. Yeah, she goes running in the compound. She goes to see Hannibal Lecter, and he it jumps up, or well, somebody jumps up at a, a glass at a glass security door.
1: Yeah, she she has a scare with one of the prisoners in the prison compound, doesn't she?
0: She does now. This uh, alien is really well envisaged and realised. It makes really nice velociraptor kind of noises with its throat, little throat crackles and, and longer sort of wheezy dribbles. And it has like eight or ten spider eyes on the top of its head. It's a really cool alien. If you like scary aliens, this one should manage to creep you out.
1: It does just kind of drag itself around, though, doesn't it? It's not yeah. It's not especially quick. But nonetheless, unpleasant. Until it pounces. So the other thing that's going on is she she's single. He isn't married. And she is obviously quite attracted to this cosmonaut, who is, I mean, actually probably a bit too pretty, isn't he, for a Russian cosmonaut?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Did you find him believable? Oh,
0: no, I didn't. Uh, he's also a really poor father. He's kind of like, for a Russian, from this era, he's kind of deserted his son, hasn't
1: he? Oh, God, yeah, there's plot about his son that i didn't i never really understood that but yeah apparently he's abandoned his his son the yeah, the plot for that sort of passed me by it was, what is this film trying to say paul
0: that life in russia though in that time was pretty horrible i don't know
1: what if you go up into space and get invaded by an alien if you
0: went to any great educational hall in the Soviet Union at the time, there would be a massive frieze, either made of marble or something, or cement or 3D relief in whatever hall of the people that would be, you know, young children looking up to Sputnik with their their textbook and and, and looking inspired by the great Soviet achievements. And I think maybe some of what the movie was saying was that what was presented to, what was presented to, to the Russian populace And how the heroes were treated was uh, were two different experiences, I think. Apart from that, what else are they saying? Well, there's a big alien in the sky. Sorry, there's an alien in the sky that isn't very nice. I
1: mean, what do you think it was saying, Richard? I haven't a clue. I think that this is a problem with the plot. It's that really the plot of this movie is Guy goes up to space, comes back with an alien inside him, and they try and figure out what the hell is going on. And then eventually he kills himself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that means the alien dies too. I'm not sure about that. I think that's why he kills himself,
0: is to kill the alien. Yeah.
1: And and she falls in love with him, which is really odd, because he's got an alien inside him, a really ugly-looking alien. (laughs) I think there might be some
0: political reflections here, because there's a big thing about him being a hero, a hero, a hero, and then, oh no, you're not a hero to your son kind of thing, and then a hero would sacrifice himself, and he does eventually sacrifice himself, but he sacrifices himself because of himself, and this might be a comment on... Uh, Soviet politics itself. The the bravest thing Soviet politics could do would would be to admit it was a failure kind of thing. I don't know. Whatever this movie is about, I was reaching for the vodka about this point. Now, of all the depressing things that happen out in the middle of these cold steps... And there were many. uh, The general says, oh, would you like to sign the non... Would you like to sign the non-disclosure agreement? You know, I thought this was quite yeah, this was quite <laughs> interesting. You know, the fact that you could just put a bullet in her head and probably would do. It's great that they were really
1: respecting her rights there. Did you notice the Soviet issued state radios on the walls of the of the rooms that they had in that place? No, no, no. I was
0: going to say amazing attention to detail, but it was made by Russians, so.
1: I mean, in common with the other communist countries we know about, I guess certainly North Korea has them. Doesn't? Don't they? It's like a speaker on the wall that every household that's would right, have. yeah, yeah, and it it only tunes into state radio so that they can announce, you know, the death of the next leader or whatever.
0: Now, there was also a really nice line in Soviet-era Olympic team tracksuits. She she wore a really nice tracksuit.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. it was yes, yeah, she looked good in that tracksuit.
0: With stripes, white stripes, and acrylic. Yeah, she did look good in it. Yeah, because they don't really follow the curves of the human body, do they? They're quite, they're quite concealing. Those, those, those tracksuits.
1: He also had a right go at his television, and I wanted to say to people that you should, under no circumstances, take the back off a CRT television and shove your hand in and mess around with it. Never, especially not just after you've just unplugged it.
0: Yeah, don't even try and put a screwdriver.
1: Very high voltages, but people these days they wouldn't know with all these LED screens, LCD screens. So spoiled people. So they had these old CRTs. They did. And they yeah. Had, uh, and they were trying to, They were struggling to get reception of anything they want to watch. But they had VCRs, didn't they? They were watching tapes back. I
0: was impressed with the level of VCR technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fast forward was really good, and the night vision was really good too.
1: Night vision. Oh yeah, they gave her. At one point, he gave her those night vision uh, yes. binoculars, didn't he? Although when she was hiding in the UAZ, but uh, on the other hand, he did say that they only last for ten minutes or something. <laughs> so,
0: so at this point, um, she decides she doesn't know that it's eating prisoners at this point, does she? But she gets to have another face to face with it, and uh, through the window that it tried to break through last time in its Hannibal Lecter moment. but uh, And so at this point, it's 47 and 36, 47 minutes and 36 seconds, and I was thinking, oh, God, come on, alien, please break the window and eat her. Because I was hoping she was just going to be eaten and, and die. And I was like, come on, please, just break through that uh, security glass and uh, just eat her. But I spoke too soon because instead she opens the door and lets, lets the alien out. So, so there we go.
1: That's the bit where it bites her ankle. It gets a leg, doesn't it, and she has to... Once bitten, forever smitten, yeah. yeah. That's it. She, maybe she fell in love with the alien and not with the rather creepy Russian who's a bad father.
0: Well, they're, they're one and the same as it turns out, isn't it? That The alien is the astronaut, is the cosmonaut.
1: This is the message of the film, yeah.
0: Now, what do you think about the Soviet military
1: jeeps? The UAZs? Yeah. Are they as, are they as good as Land Rovers and, and jeeps, do you think, or not? Oh, I'm sure, like a lot of Soviet technology... They probably lack a bit of a refinement, but I imagine that they are fairly robust in the field. Probably easy f- easy to fix if something goes wrong. But the Land Rover itself
0: was meant to be easily fixed. For example, it had symmetrical forward, forward-facing forward headlights, i.e. the left headlight and the right headlight could both be inserted on either side. Now, the new Land Rover Defender, what do you think about that? Is that a, de- is that a departure from Land Rover's utilitarian roots? I mean, you can't really hose it out, can you? It- the USB port's going to get gonna get a bit cloggy. If you do, there's no drain hole on the floor like there is on a Land Rover. The forward lights are not symmetrical. There's a left and a right.
1: I think they're aiming for a different market somewhat, Paul. Aren't they?
0: They are. They are. I mean, I was hoping it was going to be a real farm vehicle kind of thing. Just a modern one with an engine, with a modern engine kind of thing. Do you have your eye on one? I did until it came out. And then I thought, oh my God, it's, it's like a, it's like a Land Rover Discovery, just just with uh, higher ground clearance, really.
1: Hmm. Disappointment. Well, you don't live on a farm, though, either. True. You mean I could still get one? Yeah. There's nothing stopping you getting an agricultural vehicle to toll around, tool around in, but I'm not sure it would suit your needs. Oh. I guess it's less likely to be stolen and taken for a joyride.
0: Yes. Okay, so at this point in the movie, I kind of stopped paying attention. And at this point, she's taken somewhere else, or they, they let her into the secret that it's been feeding
1: on prisoners. How, this,
0: how does she find out about that?
1: That other scientist guy uh, helps yeah. her, doesn't he? The guy who looks like that American actor whose name I can't currently remember. He takes her, he takes her in the UAT, gives her the night vision binoculars, and lets her watch them feed prisoners to it. Now, at this point, at one hour and 20 minutes
0: in, this is where we get an astonishing brain squelch because the alien just literally rips the hell out of somebody's head, doesn't it? And we get a massive brain explosion.
1: Yeah, because I don't think it's... It's not eating their their flesh, as it were. It's only interested in their thoughts or their cortisol. Cortisol, they said Ah. um, that humans... No animal fears like humans do. And so it makes them frightened... And then it drinks their brain for cortisol.
0: Wow. Okay. And then at 1 hour 37, sec- 37 minutes, we have another gorgeous brain bite explosion from, from the alien. So there are moments of extreme gore in this movie that are really quite satisfying.
1: It's not really a science fiction, is it? It's a horror movie, really. And a horror movie without a great deal of horror. Yeah, not much action. Some really nice camera angles, though. <laughs> Sensitively
0: shot. And a mood board of army olive green and dun browns of the steps. So the mood board here was very well conceived also.
1: It certainly sets a mood, doesn't it? It's quite yeah. a reflective... It does have you reaching for the vog- vodka bottle, yeah. I think we may be at a position where we should be scoring this movie.
0: Yes, do let's let's. Let's go and score this thing. So, well, I'm talked out about it. In fact, I'm quite depressed again. Having, having, you know, because I I got it out the system. I thought, what a depressing movie. And now talking (laughs) about it, I'm feeling really depressed and bloated. I'm feeling, oh,
1: it's a burden, isn't it? It is. It's a burdensome movie. It's like what the astronaut comes back with. He's carrying it inside him all the time, and now we are.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is like it's been passed on to us. We've got rusty bugs. So. So what is it about this movie? Do you want to score it first on uh, on on something? Acting. The acting I thought was uh, commensurate with the with with the script and uh sufficient for needs.
1: Pretty strong I think. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce anybody's names. She was good. Uh and yeah. he was a bit weird but I think that was the idea. Um
0: the alien was really convincing. Good acting from the alien.
1: If that's acting then
0: Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, uh well, yeah, so 8 from me. Okay, yep, yeah, I'll give it a, I'll give
0: it a 7. Okay, on to scripting and plot and dialogue.
1: I thought this was a little bit odd. I thought it was a very straight through plot. There weren't really any twists or turns to it. I don't no, fully understand no. what they're trying to say. And I also think it's a big plot hole, really. That I mean, what was the alien doing? Out in space, just hanging around. Yeah. How did it get on the outside of the Soyuz capsule? I don't know. Was it just cleaning windows?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So you're right. I mean,
0: there were there were no big surprises here. The only thing, like I say, was anticipation, you know. Is it going to be a nasty alien? Uh, yes, we find out it is about 10 minutes later. Is it going to kill somebody? Yes, it does 20 minutes later. Are they going to have to kill it? Yes, they are. You know, I mean, it was it was just waiting for the things that you knew were going to happen happen. And I think that's the biggest letdown here. So I'm going to score it a four for scripting.
1: What was that noise, Paul? It sounded it sounded frighteningly like your computer logging you out because you've changed glasses.
0: No. Oh, oh. Well, I better go and touch the keys. Actually, uh, that was. <laughs> That was actually me being flatulent.
1: No, it was a computer going booboo. Yes, it
0: was! It was me being flatulent. Okay, sorry, four for script, Rich.
1: i tell you something that we've forgotten. What? Right at the end of the movie, there's this scene where she goes and sees the cosmonaut's son.
0: Technically, I didn't forget that. I'd, I'd stopped paying attention at
1: that point, Richard. Oh, damn, because I wanted you to explain it to me. There's a scene where, I, I think, the nurse who's looking after it, there's some suggestion
0: that the kid is mirroring his father's behavior, and this has become apparent because of the strength of the alien influence on his father's brain. So I think the, 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 there's there's maybe a sequel where where we understand that humans can actually connect brains, but we just don't realize it because there's too much noise in our in our in our system, kind of thing.
1: And that's what? what I
0: was thinking. No, that was my thought, which isn't what the movie's about. But
1: yeah. Now, there's a scene where, uh, at the end, I think the nurse is re- referring to the little boy or something, and he says, actually, I'm a girl and I'm Tatiana. And I thought, oh, he's a girl, isn't he? Can I ask one but- question, Richard?
0: Is, did you care? <laughs> did you care about this? Or at this point, had you given up caring completely?
1: No, I, I didn't care greatly about it, no.
0: Yeah. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to follow this movie up to the end with any level of... Passion or enthusiasm, which is why I scored it four for script.
1: And another thing, well, there's something else about it, which is yeah. the general, the, the Russian military guy. Yeah, his motivation turns out to be, oh, we want to keep this and turn it into a weapon. Oh, that's right. As yeah. if we yeah. haven't heard that like a dozen times. It's a really hackneyed idea. I mean, that was hackneyed, yeah. Obviously, totally on 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 the mark, as it were, for Soviet military interests and stuff, but very dull. So for that reason, I'll give it a three. Ooh, wow. Harsh, yeah. That was harsh, but maybe deserved. How about the science, then?
0: Science? I've got very little to say. Uh, She was a maverick doctor. She tried to drown her patients. Uh, She diagnosed PTSD by... By having a placebo question that the patient was thinking about, and then observing his hand movements, all that was a bit was a bit clunky, wasn't it? Alien science, you know, the expanding alien body because it was made of lightweight lightweight, lightweight materials. I like that. Uh, the fact that it released venom to knock out its its host whilst it crawled in and out of its throat. I like that too. You know, I mean, just the general technical props that lay around the set were uh, of an era and accurate. So I'm going to give the science seven, but there wasn't very much science in there, which I don't think.
1: Everything you said is true and I, I basically agree with. But again, at one point they said of that alien and the fact that it lives inside him, they said that it's using him like a spacesuit, like as if it needed to be inside him to survive.
0: And yet it came out quite happily. So
1: It has to come out to eat. Yes. And furthermore... Well, I suppose it's true of a spacesuit as well. But furthermore, uh, it was out in space, we're, we're led to believe, just hanging out, waiting for a Soyuz capsule to come along. And then, apparently, it could just undo the hatch. No problem. <laughs> so, for that reason, look, I'll give it a five. Okay. I, and I'm crediting it for a good a good alien, there.
0: Now, on to perhaps the only thing that we care about, which is the special effects, effects and action. What do you think about those, Rich?
1: As we said, it's a great alien, considering the budget. I mean, there was—I mean, there's some action, right? You know, it goes and. But we only really get ten minutes of Alien, don't we? Again, that goes back to what you've been saying about these films. You keep it hidden, don't you? And you don't try and show too much of it. Be parsimonious with your, with your xenomorph. I think I've got to give it for all of these reasons a seven. I'm going to go a six on that. Alright, so an overall score then for Sputnik.
0: For me, it's going to be a fairly respectable 5.5.
1: You know, I'll give it a 6, maybe even a 7. No, a 6 is right, isn't it? A 6 is fine. It is above average, right? There's nothing wrong with it. It's decent. It's just a bit slow. It's a bit melancholy. It's a bit quiet. It's very... I was going to say it's very Russian, but I'm not even sure it's very cerebral. If it is, I don't get it and i don't get it in a much worse way than people don't get tenet. i think if you're going to go
0: for a thought piece as a movie you want to come out there having been presented with a central dichotomy that the movie's force you to engage with. and it doesn't do that. i mean it's not clear hmm. what 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 is it what is it positing? what is it asking us to consider? nothing really. and so it's unsatisfying from that perspective. and it certainly doesn't doesn't there's nothing uh virtuous about it. it doesn't leave you feeling released or, or enlightened in any way. So, so, yeah, just not satisfying, really, as, as an experience.
1: Yes. Hopefully we can get back to some safer ground with your choice for next week's movie.
0: Okay, so I'm going to give you... Because, I mean, ugh, I really messed up because last week I was supposed to be giving you choices and you were supposed to be choosing. So we're going to have to do that this week. And the week before. Yes, and possibly the week before that. Well, look, like, you know, I'm sorry for when I was drunk. No, I'm sober. Uh, it's a step a day. <laughs> I can't make up for when I wasn't there for you, Richard. But what I can do is try <laughs> Is try to perform in the now to the best of my abilities, and that's what I'm trying to do. Okay. So, that having been said, I'm going to present two, two movies to you, Richard. The first is a French romp. Into French ideas of science fiction, I'm not sure if you're going to enjoy this. My first suggestion is Valerian, and the City of a Thousand Planets, a 2017 film from a French production house. My second choice is Tau, uh, which is something about AI. Now, take your pick, sir. Which would you prefer?
1: Hmm. Well, which would you prefer? I think I think you're imagining that Valerian is going to be a lot more. Upbeat and happy and stuff.
0: I'm imagining Valerian to be a mix between 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in Space and Tintin. And <laughs> for that reason, you want to see it?
1: Yes, for its potential incong-
0: incongruity to an Anglo American audience.
1: I want to see Tau. It just sounds more interesting. It's my choice, isn't it? And I've had to come up with movies. Tau is human in an AI te- test box.
0: Something like that. There's, an a- there's a human that needs to get out of an AI box. Oh. Yeah.
1: Okay. Hang on. Before I say yes to Tau, we should just check what it's available on and stuff.
0: Well, I checked and they're both free. One is free on Prime and one is free on Netflix.
1: Other streaming services are available at least until we're sponsored by one of the streaming services. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tao is free on Netflix right now.
1: I- I'm going to go for Tao. Yes. <laughs>
0: okay. I wasn't employing reverse psychology there, at all, Richard.
1: Really? That was very clever.
0: I wasn't employing reverse psychology.
1: Now I feel manipulated. After this podcast is over, you're going to crawl back into my mouth. Well,
0: uh, viewers don't need... Listeners don't need to know about that, Richard.
1: Thank you, Paul. Thanks for your uh, enlightening views on uh, insights into Soviet-era politics in Russia. Well, I don't have any insights. All I have is
0: ignorance. I retract my thanks, then. (laughs) I am the inkblot of impressions. You know, any subjects, any any sort of uh, societal subject, I just kind of throw... I throw my inkblot against the wall and see what I see.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for uh, tossing your inkblot
0: this way. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's, there's three levels of ink inkblot crazy, isn't there? There's one, coming into the new workplace and throwing your ink against the wall and thinking it's going to spell something. There's two, walking into a new workplace, throwing your ink against the wall and insisting that it spells out you don't need to be crazy to work here, but it
1: helps. <laughs> Well, I think it's going to be a lot easier to assess Tao than it was to assess this movie. Okay, so until the next time when we'll be discussing Tao, it's time for the theme music. I'm going to say goodbye and so you. Goodbye. Goodbye. And music. Three, two, one.